episode 154 Redleaf Retrocast, Retro Gaming, Colin, myself, JD, and Joey. We're all here. February. Hooray. All right. Happy birthday to us. Yeah. What'd you do, Colin? I not nothing much really. I just went to went to my parents' place with my brother and his family. We all we all just had a little family gathering, went sledding at a nearby hill, had dinner and cake and opened a couple of presents. I got an electric toothbrush and a fifty dollar GameStop gift card. What are they trying to tell you? <laughs> Hey, I asked for it. <laughs> oh, you you asked for the electric toothbrush? Yes, I did. Okay, all right. I've had a, been Good. getting a couple of cavities lately, uh, and I'm sick of getting having to go back to the dentist. So, it's time I really stepped up. Okay, stepping up his game. Well, that sounds like a nice yeah, wholesome yeah. birthday. Uh, I went snowboarding. Yeah, I I've told this story a number of times already, so I won't tell it again here. But uh, had to buy new boots. So that was my big birthday present to myself. There you go. Lots of snowboarding. Nice. Got the itch back. Very excited. Cool. I'm going to definitely have to make the effort next winter uh, to go to some of these like more retro mountains. I say retro. Uh, smaller mountains. Because um, the tickets are actually affordable there, as opposed to uh, the higher-end places. I mean, when lift tickets are in the 150s, that's just insane to me. <laughs> snow ain't that good. <laughs> know what I mean? That's pricey. It's insanely pricey. It's it's an effort. Uh, it's a it's a um, pricing effort and strategy to push what they. It's like a uh, multi mountain pass, season pass, where a conglomerate of different mountains get together for one singular pass that you pay upwards of 500 to whatever thousands of dollars and then you get perks and uh lifts to those so like for example there's um a thing called the epic pass last few years and it's gaining steam and in order to push people buying that they've pushed uh the daily lift tickets to exorbitant prices uh, so it sucks and that's also led to supposedly a lot more crowding at a lot of these mountains. Um, I personally didn't see it the weekend I went. So Super Bowl weekend, definitely uh, the the time to go out to places where the Super Bowl isn't playing. So the middle of a mountainside is, uh, is perfect. <laughs> very nice. Yeah. So it's very enjoyable. Um, I was able... I, it's, it's, it's always frustrating because... I only get to go once or twice a year. This time I got to go for four straight days. Really saved up. Mom uh, splurged on me for my 36th birthday, so that was nice. But uh, by the end of it, I'm so dog-tired, and I also have my skills back where I can handle like a single, maybe double black diamond. But then my legs are just so exhausted, it's it's just like I gotta go real slow down. <laughs> I can't cut and hold on as, as much as I'd like to. But uh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the birthday. Um, no cake for me, Colin. Just just a lot of booze. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Joey, how come you're not born in February, you fool? Because I'm born in the better month, October. That is not a better month. How dare you? 
Uh, it's got Halloween, so uh, it's the better month. I don't th- look. February's got the the hallmark holiday of love. So Halloween's also love. So I mean, anybody can dress in sexy outfits whenever they want. I suppose. <laughs> yes, but when is it socially acceptable in public? <laughs> Aside from spring break. Have you seen the way people dress in 2024, Colin? I I rest my case. <laughs> people show ankles all the time now. <laughs> How dare they? I know. Those harlots. <sighs> Heathens and harlots alike. Okay. <laughs> Today's episode is Colin's pick. We'll get to that later. Uh, what has everyone been playing? Joey, you go first. Okay. Uh, playing two games. Uh, Balatro on Steam. Uh, poker roguelike game. A lot of fun. Oh, very addictive. Poker rogue um, roguelike, huh? Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so the rounds are set up. You go through different antes, and each ante you go through small blind, big blind, and the boss. And the boss has like different effects on that round. Like you have to play a five card hand. You can't play or you've clubs or whatever suit doesn't count towards scoring and whatnot or some really shitty ones that all cards are face down, which can be a death. Um, then there's jokers that affect your hand and multipliers, planning cards that up the level of hand types. So like you can get a full house of like level 10. So the multiplier and chips start out at a high level. Um, there's tarot cards that can affect your hand or jokers. There's spectral cards that also can affect shit. And then there's a whole whole lot going on with it. Um, you have to get up to beat anti-8 to consider a run as a win, but then there's endless mode afterwards. And I can't get past any 11 because it's it's tough. The, the, chip, it's the amount of chips you need to beat the blinds gets uh, ridiculous, and I haven't got that far yet. My best hand's only like 2.4 million chips. <laughs> and you need like 54 million to beat the boss on any 11 or something like that. So uh, I'm nowhere near gotten lucky enough for my runs to go, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It weirdly and reminds then, me of the setup of inscription with the yeah, random hands. And yeah, it's, it's a, very much like that, but it's just nice, quick and easy. You can play really fast. You can just get in and go and it's just fun. And you unlock different jokers. There's like, I think 150 different jokers that, can affect some some have some random effects like you get money for this and that some have like an addition to the multiplier like plus 20 multiplier some of them have a multiplication multiplier so like three times the multiplier if this happens so you can get some crazy multiplication in there i think my highest was like over six thousand times the chip count so it was pretty crazy and i know i've seen some hands on reddit that just are like broken <laughs> like a billion points in one hand just because they're set up so well. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's addicting and it's just something like quick and easy to pick up and play. And then cool. I've been playing uh Helldivers 2. Ah, I've been watching um like some various Twitch streams on it. Uh, tell me. Tell us. Tell it tell is tell. So much fun. So much fun. If you want to play a game and pretend you're a Starship Trooper. <laughs> this is the game to play. <laughs> like, if you just love satire, and if you want to spread managed democracy throughout the universe, 
kill bugs, <laughs> kill robots, this is the game for you. Uh, they had funny. some struggles after it was released because they did not expect it to be so popular. Considering I think oh. the first game topped out with maybe 8,000 concurrent players because it was a top-down view. It wasn't first person like this one or third person. But they had close to half a million concurrent players. So the servers and the code couldn't handle it. So there was a couple of days where the devs work in long hours just to try to get the game stable. And it's finally there. Um, a little annoying, but it's understandable when they're a small team and the success just blew up. They just weren't ready for it. But yeah, it got so uh, it. W- it immediately got uh, good reviews out of the gate. Let me see what the Metacritic score was again. Uh, Hell Divers Two. Let's see. Um, I mean, it's it's mid to low uh, mid to low eighties, but still, it's it's, be- it's become fun. extremely it's... popular and favorable to how people want to play a game yeah. and. It doesn't seem it to does. fall into the same traps that a lot of these games have. Yeah, and the one thing that it does that's amazing is that you don't have to spend money on the super credits. You can if you want to, but you can get them throughout the game, either through the war bond by spending medals to get it, or you can literally find it on missions. So you can farm enough super credits to buy the premium war bond to unlock stuff. Yeah, it's you don't have to spend a dollar. Yeah, it's it's not a nerfed um what's the uh, succession system, I guess is a way to put it. Yeah. Um and then you also can use the credits you find and farm to buy stuff in the super credit store, so like you don't have to. I mean, I, I threw an extra buck a couple bucks at it cuz I was having fun. So it's it's been a lot of fun cuz also cuz everything you do can kill your teammates. You throw down some of your uh, stratagems <laughs> and you can blow them up. Or if you hit someone that's throwing a stratagem, it, it doesn't go far. It lands right on top of you guys and you all just die. <laughs> so it's just it's just fun with all stupid ass shit and dropping nukes or shooting nukes that have already been on the ground. I don't know. It's just stupid fun. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so entertaining. I didn't think I would like it as much, but it's just so much fun. And you're playing on Steam? No, I'm playing on PS5. Oh, okay. Because uh, I play it on Thursdays with my brother-in-law. So usually we have a four-man team Thursday night, which makes it even more fun. Yeah, throw it up on Twitch. I'll uh, I'll watch it at the bowling alley on Thursdays. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I could try. I've never tried to stream from PS5. Yeah, it should have an automatic uh, streaming option on there. I think mm-hmm. it does. I know PS4. Is I'll it. think about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, a lot of satire. Run around killing bugs saying that's democracy or spreading democracy, just some <laughs> dumbass shit. Like of course the bugs don't know what the fuck democracy is. <laughs> Did you vote for that leader? <laughs> Damn oh, you. That's, that's the thing, it's not actual democracy, it's managed democracy. <laughs> and from what I understand from the first game is that there's a program that you fill out and it determines what candidate you should vote for <laughs> based on like how you feel about things but who knows if it's actually spitting out things that you really want or just deciding for you so you don't go i want candidate a it's like you fill out this form yeah i'm for this i'm for that against that okay here's a candidate so <laughs> sounds like chat gpt yeah. vote, votes for democracy <laughs> and, and when you're on your ship just standing around there's like um 
propaganda videos that sometimes show up on this big screen and they're just <laughs> stupid but awesome and they talk about how every person over seven is going to be working for the greater good so you get a job at seven in this universe hell yeah <laughs> i'm tired of all these tiny children just lo lounging around not not working yeah for super earth super <laughs> oh yeah that sounds better. that sounds way better than the planet we live on yeah, so yeah, I'll continue playing this because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm still joking around, uh, messing with um, Lethal Company. Few, the the latest thing going around is, um, you gather you you uh, you hack to give yourself a lot of money, and then you can buy like a shotgun or something right away. And people play essentially hide and seek <laughs> where one person has a shotgun and the other three people will try to get uh, some sort of item, usually the power source in the building, and then try to get it back to the ship without getting <laughs> blasted by the seeker. So that's that's the big fun mode going around right now. Uh, very fun to watch online, too, because people put in uh, different levels of like someone's going to be a betrayer and if you find them first then uh <laughs> they will lead you uh to the pack where the guy will blow the other two teammates away and he goes okay i will allow you to win now because you <laughs> you betrayed and gave me something good in in return um fun stuff colin what about you what you've been playing uh, really not much aside from podcast games i'm mostly trying yep. to the most i did was make my way through the final floor of Luigi's Mansion 3. Just ah. gather up all the gems and keys. But you didn't beat it yet? Not yet, but I'm very okay. close. But yeah, it was nice that one of our games that we're covering, I had already gotten a, gotten a specific collection on the Switch that would allow me to play it on that. So that ended up working out. <laughs> Even though I'm the one who chose these games. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, okay. Uh, in my news, um, besides the podcast games, I hadn't really played anything in the last three weeks until uh, this past weekend here, leading up to this. Uh, I finally beat Final Fantasy 16. Hooray! Oh, wow. Hooray. I've done it. Was it worth it? Okay. <laughs> so... I have a lot of conflicting thoughts on the game, uh, other than the same thought I've had for a long time was uh, any sort of side content, um, building up characters, building up weapons and, and appearances. Uh, the game has like n nothing in that it's um, a complete waste of time. So the quicker you realize that, the quicker it's just you're just you're just playing through the story as quickly as possible. And it's a 35 to 40 hour story. Just going straight uh -huh. from mission to mission to mission to mission. And then hopefully not dying and setting your... Uh, it, there's certain easier modes you can put it on um, with helping with... Uh, there's a there's an item you can get uh, that helps you with dodging. Um, you get the idea. So the story, uh, massively enjoyed it. It's all about Clive and his, his journey... Uh, through this world, um, and it's never about the other characters. 
It's how they interact with him and what they mean to him. But it's Clive's story through and through. And I'm, I was very okay with that. Uh, I think with a few of the harder-hitting characters, they, they gave you enough to get you invested in them. It's certainly not uh, about a party of heroes rather than it's about this one hero with his friends around him. Um, I think that was a good departure story-wise from a lot of the other Final Fantasy games, especially the ones that we have played, Colin. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot different from Final Fantasy VI for sure. Yeah. Uh, I really like the ending and how we got there and what it meant. Um, the epilogue little ending cutscene um, gave you some answers as well, but the what I thought was going to happen, and I'm I'm so in like Final Fantasy VII mindset mode right now because I'm so hyped for Rebirth coming out next week. The path I thought the story was going to take was, and um, I guess I'll go into spoilers because at this point the game's like eight months old at this point, and anyone who's going to play it probably is, but I thought the story was going to be more about Ultima trying to gain the vessel that is Clive. And in order to do that, with a lot of the philosophical dialogue the game really leaned into in the later half of the game, I thought it was going to, the goal was to break Clive's kind of spirit in holding on to his free will. So, uh, like a mat, because you you only play as Clive. Everyone else is kind of on auto. So you could, like, every character is free to kill, essentially. And it wouldn't impact gameplay all that much. At all, really. So here I am thinking, okay, Jill, the love, she's gonna get, she's gonna get dead <laughs> in a, some horrible manner. Uh, his best friend or whatever is also gonna die in some horrible way. And uh, once, once there was this, um, this, this love scene that happened, I'm, and I could have sworn I saw like Ultima like watching in the distance, and there was this purple haze going on. I was like, okay, now's the moment. He's gonna fucking murder her. Uh, it never happened. She doesn't die. And instead, huh. it gets into this... Um, the last three chapters was really about kind of the acceptance of Clive and his brother are going to go fight Ultima and probably die doing it. Because they just don't know if they can actually beat him or not. Um, as for the final battles leading up to that, uh, lot to left, lot left to be desired because there's a main character in there called Barnabas, and um, I thought they could have done a lot more with him in leading to like what his purpose was. Uh, it, they explained it well enough, but once that battle was over, I felt like the 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 game was basically over, and the last two hours leading up to the final ultimate battle, all that stuff in between was all about just triggering cutscenes and the goodbyes that were happening. So I wish they could have done more 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 with either cut that out or do something better with the battles because there was this behemoth battle that was fucking annoying. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. All I want to do is fight Ultima. <laughs> and this fucking giant like minotaur troll thing is in my way and it's hard as shit. I was so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but um the ending's good. The ending's good. It's very it makes sense 
to what the story was telling and how it was going to be told and the ultimate goal. And there's a good moment there where Clive uh, realizes like very quickly, he just goes, oh, I have to die, essentially. And very good moments um, leading to that and leading after it and good dialogue. It's certainly one Sounds of a bit like Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. And it's certainly one of the better Final Fantasy stories, especially in this like modern era that we're in, where I was truly invested in it. So, you know, Metacritic has it at like a low 80. And I'm like, the the battles and fights, while good, I thought it leaned too cinematic. I thought it took a, too much out of the player's hands. Uh, and when it was too overly difficult, there was it felt like there was really nothing I could do about it. Um, so I don't know. I'd probably put it in like a mid seventies type rating. Uh, if the story wasn't good, this game would be absolute trash. I think. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It, it really leaned onto it. So in my, uh, obsession with final fantasy. Now I tried, I was like, I got to fucking go back to final fantasy 15 and actually beat that thing. Um, I really, uh, never finished it. I got like 15 something hours into it and then I stopped for whatever reason. That's very typical me. And so here I am trying to install Final Fantasy 15 again on my PS4 and it is a nightmare. Oh my God. Uh, if you guys didn't see my Twitter post yesterday, um, I put it in and this is how it works. I have to disconnect my internet from my ps4 i have to di uh disable all automatic updates and install the disc uh we, this also also functions on digital where it installs a base game like title screen and then then it starts to install the rest of the game it's 70 plus gigs uh plus whatever else it needs and i'm gonna post this picture and you guys are going to uh freak the fuck out on it well, maybe not to that extent, but um, here it is. So look in the upper right-hand corner and tell me what the uh, time remaining says for the audience here listening. 434 minutes. So that was after Jesus. it had already installed like the 50 gig or whatever uh, disk drive, disk game, base game. That's how much time was still left. And guess what? It does not download in sleep mode. Um. So I thought I could just leave it on all night and um, it would finish. It did not. Did not finish. It still has, at Shit. time I'm looking at it, 45 minutes. But who knows if that's even true. It could be corrupted by the end of all this. I don't know. So Final Fantasy right. 15 downloading this fucking game is a total nightmare. I hate it. So then <laughs> I kind of gave up last night and went to Final Fantasy 13, threw it in the PS3, and it was up immediately. Like, no problem. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't so bad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with Final Fantasy 13 is I haven't played this game since trying it out in college, you know, over a decade ago. And... I had forgotten how much this story makes no fucking sense when you first start it. I have no idea what's going on. It's talking about branding and people getting marked and they have a uh, uh, 
a, a focus to where they can see the future and they have to make that future happen or else they become some hideous creature. And I'm like, I don't know what anything has to do with the world. I don't know any, any, anything of who these people are. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like two and a half hours in. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I don't know clearly. what the fuck is going on in Final Fantasy thirteen. Like they, they didn't even have like an establishing shot of the the world of Cocoon. That really threw me off. Nothing. It's just all dialogue. Like I already know everything that's happening throughout the city and who these people are. They just go, Yeah. Oh man, we're on trains and we've awoken. Awoken to what? I don't know what that yeah. means. <laughs> Yeah, apparently you're supposed to read a bunch of light novels first <laughs> as a lead up to it. Uh, That's what there's heard in the there's past. homework for this game? God. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, let me look this up. Final, whoops. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy 13 uh, light novels okay let's see here what the fuck books in the final fan episode zero hold on is this what i have to read is it a whole book or is it a series of books i'm not entirely sure i just know it's reading material of some kind (laughs) Before destiny was decided in the futuristic city of Cocoon, all the needs of the people are taken care of by the godlike Falsi. The only threat to their comfortable lives is the world of Pulse Below, ruled by its own Falsi with their own intentions. And should trouble ever arise, the Falsi sometimes choose humans to do the bidding, do their bidding, and life will never be the same for people marked by the fate. Okay, I understand that, just from context clues and going through it, but... So, I guess it's like an overworld, and if you get sent to the underworld, you're fucked, I guess? At least that's what they tell you? I don't know. Yeah, but still, you end up in the course of the game, encountering people from Pulse. And they seem fine. (laughs) <laughs> they, seem, they seem okay it's almost like the government was lying to them this whole time oh weird that never happens yeah why would they do that <laughs> okay so I guess I need to read this uh, episode zero book apparently so wait part of Final Fantasy 2 books is there two of them no 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 Okay. No, that's through one, two, three memories of heroes. Okay. Fourteen bucks to buy the book. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. I guess uh, I'll just I'll just play the game, and I'll, I'll I'll get it eventually. I'll get enough. Like I already I already got enough after two and a half hours, but I just like the whole setup made no sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, I was really confused when I first played it, too. I was like, did I miss, like, the o- an opening? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. God. All right, so let's get into today's games. Here's the drop. Okay, Colin, your theme pick, what, when, where, and how, and why? 
Yep, it is Game Boy Advance. Games that, well, came out on Game Boy Advance. I I picked it because, well, Game Boy Advance has some has a bit of an interesting I don't I don't want to say history, but it's got a it's got a fair few games that have caught my eye. And I have a a bit of a history with uh, Game Boy Advance. Although before I get into that, what's what are you guys' history with it? Uh, I did not own one growing up. My brother got it for Christmas one year, and I played his uh, in whatever games he got. So it was very few and far between. <laughs> gotcha. So that's why, like a lot of those GBA Pokemon games, I never got to play until way later. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I want to say at least ten years after. Afterwards. Neat. Joey? Sorry, what was the question? Uh, what's your history with the Game Boy Advance? Uh, I think I had one. <laughs> Didn't have many games on it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the uh, Game Boy Advance was the purple one? Yeah, it was the purple clear thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had was... one. I think I had Pokemon on it. And maybe yeah. like one other game. Cool. Yeah, not much history from us there, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me personally, I've probably mentioned this on a previous cast, but I remember being really excited for the the GBA and the game the days leading up to its release. Because I saw it in a magazine my friend had brought to school one day. And for whatever reason, I was convinced it was going to be something like a portable N64. <laughs> and I would daydream about playing Zelda Ocarina of Time on the go. Yeah, try a portable it, SNES instead. That's what I was going to say. It was like, when it came out, it turned out to be more like portable Super Nintendo. I mean, disappointing, but I bought it anyway. And to date, it's the only gaming platform I've ever bought at, at launch. And there's a bit of a brief backstory for it. It's it came out in 2001 in Japan and North America, and the EU and Australia at different times. And as a bit of a departure from the previous designs of Game Boys, instead of it having the buttons below the screen, it was buttons on each side of the screen, like the Game Gear. Yep. And it was apparently designed by a French designer named Gwenel Nicolas. And he had a he had a Tokyo-based design studio called Curiosity Inc. So a little bit of history lesson there. I never did have an a Game Boy Advance SP, but I keep wanting to get one because it has the backlit screen. Whereas the GBA does not. That could be it was a bit of a at the time type of thing because pretty much every Game Boy well, every Game Boy up to that point <laughs> didn't have a backlit screen and oh, the stories that people who grew up during that time will tell about playing it in the car at night <laughs> using the street lights but that's, that's getting off track so <clears throat> Let's let's get into the games. Alrighty. 
First one is Golden Sun. Developed by Camelot Software Planning and published by Nintendo. Released on the Game Boy Advance in Japan on August 1st, 2001 in North America. And on November 12th, 2001. Wait. Ah, crap. <laughs> I totally goofed that up. It's Japan on August 1st, 2001. In North America on November 12th, 2001. And the EU on February 22nd, 2002. <clears throat> yeah, I've had this one in my possession for such a long time, but never got around to playing it. But I've been curious about it for a long time because... <laughs> As Game Boy Advance games go, it's one of the most praised and talked about. So, I decided this podcast was as good a, an excuse as any to finally start playing it. So, the plot is as follows. In the world of Wayard, in the town of Vale, the nearby mountain Mount Aleph erupts, which devastates the town. And our two main characters, Isaac and Garrett, find out that two magic users named Saturos and Minardi are responsible as they try to raid a magical shrine in the mountain for some special artifacts that allow them to bring back the power of alchemy, which in turn would allow them to rule the world. And then three years later, they manage to steal all but one of those said artifacts since Isaac and Garrett snagged the last one out from under them. And to force them to hand it over, they kidnap their friend Jenna and their teacher Creighton. But because the chamber is collapsing, they have to get the fuck out of there first. And that kicks off the journey for Isaac and Garrett to rescue them and get the remaining artifacts back before they can bring about the apocalypse. And that's the short version. <laughs> How is this story so simple and yet so complicated? It certainly goes into it. Well... So when I first booted this up, I thought it was going to be a lot more simplistic than that. But the more you play, the more deeper it goes, uh, especially with the, the whole ob objective of the lighthouses. Yeah. yeah, it was also giving me some lunar silver stars flashbacks. Not exactly sure why that one in particular. And we should let the audience know this is a turn based RPG, JRPG. And. Yeah, this this one was enjoyable. I mean, it's not it's nowhere close to something like uh, Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger, but it's up there. I mean, this the kind of story that you're playing is really nothing new or unique, but it's executed pretty well, and a lot of the reviewers of the time would agree. And. One annoyance I have is the cutscenes can be pretty long to an almost <laughs> tedious degree. Well, I know something about long cutscenes in games these days. <laughs> Looking at you, yeah, Final Fantasy yeah. 16. My God. Yeah. That's Sometimes gave Death Stranding a run for its money. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking more than once, let me save already! Yeah, and for a handheld game and having those long of cutscenes, it's... uh inconvenient to a to a degree it's certainly something i'd rather play on like the gamecube with the adapter that's because yeah, it's brought yeah. to you by some kind of battery company longer cutscenes, more batteries <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense 
And the other thing is those cutscenes are unskippable, so that kind of cuts down on the replay value there. I just want to know, why does this town have so many boulders? Dude, you gotta move shit. There's so many puzzles. Nothing's easy. (laughs) (laughs) The... I thought the graphics were incredible for this time. Uh, Oh, yeah. Music left... I thought the music was pretty average. Music and sound and everything, but in terms of the graphics in particular that really stood out to me. And you mentioned the cutscenes. I mean, it, it all flows together in that sense. It's a very much an yeah. upper echelon game of its time, which uh, Colin, have you ever played the, the, what is it? The DS version. It's like golden Dawn or some shit. I have not dark Dawn, but I'm what it's called. Yeah. I'll probably get that down the line. So, I've I played Dark Dawn before the first two Golden Sun series, and one of the critiques of Dark Dawn at the time, the major one, was it felt out of date and the graphics weren't up to par. And I think <laughs> what's funny is then I played Golden Sun. And I went, hold on, this looks familiar, very much similar, just with a uh, a console upgrade from the yeah. uh, graphics to each game generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. They probably had originally developed it for the Game Boy Advance, but then delays caused it to cause them to push it back and onto the DS. No, I thought sell it. No, I thought I read that Golden Sun was originally supposed to be on the N64. And then I don't remember the reason why it went to the GBA. Well, I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. And I like the combat. <clears throat> it reminded me a lot of Dragon Quest V and Earthbound. It's very fast. Oh, for sure. It doesn't waste any time, which I, I quite enjoy. Especially with yeah. especially with uh, random encounter type RPG games where you just want to get through things a little bit quicker and faster. Yeah. It could get a little confusing with the, uh, the djinn creatures. Because... You could either use them to do some kind of extra powerful elemental attack or or summon them in order to get them to attack and then they have a cooldown period after that. Of course I only I only played like maybe six hours, but that's a lot more than I'm usually able to put into a game. Yeah, I was able to get eight. I was able to get a good eight hours into this game, and let's see here. I believe it's like a forty-hour game. Let's see here. Let's go to how long. That was like twenty-two. Uh, Golden Sun. Oh yeah, twenty-two hours, twenty-six plus extras. Oh, okay. It's the it's the sequel that's like close to forty. The Lost Age. Oh yeah. Which came out? Uh, what a year later? Less than that. Yeah. But that's something that needs to be said. This game was so was was made to be so big that they had to split it between two games to tell the whole story. So I don't know. It's more uh, like yeah, a sixty yeah. to seventy hour game in that sense. If you want to combine the <laughs> two, because you only play. You, there's four lighthouses you have to go to, and the first Golden Sun incorporates two of them. Nah, yeah. 
Kind of reminds me of uh, Ease 1 and 2. Right. You got to play both. You can't in order to get the whole story. Or even yeah. a couple of the Fire Emblems that have come out in the last number of years. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to think. Uh, the one thing I really didn't like about the combat was that the characters didn't automatically retarget the other enemies if one of the other characters beat the target enemy before they could attack. Don't think you saw that in Dragon Quest V. No, and that's that's a I think a big gameplay flaw. Uh, even playing Final Fantasy Thirteen right now, once a once an enemy dies, uh, if your character has already chosen a motion, it just defaults to the next closest one during the fight sequence. Uh, Golden Sun definitely did not have that. <laughs> yeah. So you have to like rechoose and then redo this, and you're like, ah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I enjoyed this game. I'll probably continue playing it on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> toilet game, I, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's part of the, part of the uh, convenience of this particular topic. We, the games are portable, so that gives... A little extra time to play them. Certainly does. I know you can get it on your phone these days. Uh, it was recently, I think the last month, released on the Nintendo Switch uh, eShop. No, it was. it's on the online service that you have to get. Yeah, yeah, but you need the expansion pass to, to yeah, access so, the, the Game Boy Advance library. Yeah, so pick your poison. If you're a retro collector, the game goes for about 40 bucks. Uh, honestly, I think that's not a bad price for it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it. I've got just the cartridge. But I think I remember paying only like maybe 15 bucks for it at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, you know, in fact, I can look that up. We'll see how the uh, price has changed with the game over the last number of years. Um, okay, so pre pandemic, it was under 20 bucks, and now it's double that. So maybe that's not a great price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sucks. Uh, let's see yeah, here. Too bad. Uh, well, it looks like you can possibly get the game for under thirty if you get lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at historical sales, and it is possible. Yeah, one of them just yeah, recently that's... went for twenty bucks. Huh. It's way more pal palpable. Nice. Okay. Um, it's an easy pass for me. It's it's very addictive. I like the story. The characters uh, are very much a little better than most JRPGs, so it's far from generic. Uh, it's no reason why this game is um, well-regarded. Uh, the elemental and, and upgrades are very much into a... It has a good synergy to it all. Uh, yeah, get it. That's That's what the magic is called. <laughs> yeah that was just in my mind because of um a game mechanic in final fantasy 13 i just played last night so yeah. that actually works unintentional awesomeness by me pass golden <laughs> sun hell yeah and it has a silent protagonist but it's 
that silent protagonist actually does manage a little bit of expression, kind of like Chrono and Chrono Trigger. Very similar to Chrono Trigger in a lot of ways. Not story, sure. obviously, but with the way it's kind of laid out and how you play. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Joey, pass or fail? Uh, soft pass. Yeah, you're okay. not a big JRPG guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay, next. All right, then. Next. Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow. Hell yeah. Developed and published by Konami. Released yeah, on the Game so, Boy yeah. Advance in North America. <laughs> <laughs> released on the Game Boy Advance in North America on May 6, 2003. In Japan on May 8, 2003. And in the EU on May 9, 2003. And... Castlevania, the game series needs no introduction. No, we no. played the plot uh, quite is a few as of these. follows. Yep, the plot is as follows: In the year 1999, after one final battle, the Belmont clan finally slays Dracula and seals his power and castle into a solar eclipse. And not long after, a prophecy is made that Dracula would be reincarnated and come to his castle to regain his powers, eventually. And then 36 years later, in the year 2035 in Japan, a foreign student named Soma Cruz goes to visit his childhood friend Mina at her ch family's shrine. So you're telling me we're 11 then, years away from Dracula being unsealed? I think so. Oh. Better get your wooden stakes ready, po people. Oh, that would never work on him. Come on. And I'm and not a Belmont. And We're crucifixes. Fucked. We're fucked, Colin. <laughs> we'll send Joey in there first. Ah, man. Really gauges power. <laughs> nah, I'm good. <laughs> I doubt he'll want to come down to Houston, so I'll just chill here. And <laughs> be like, it's too damn hot down there. No thanks. <laughs> too much sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, when Soma shows up at the shrine, a solar eclipse happens, and then the two, him and Mina, get sucked into the, into a magic portal into Dracula's castle. Then they meet a guy who tells them where they are, and that Soma has a special power that lets him use the abilities of various monsters. Then tells him to find the master's chamber, and then Soma's like, okay, <laughs> and kicks. That's what kicks off the game. Yeah, no problem, sir. Kind of an abrupt. <laughs> Yeah, kind of an abrupt beginning, but I'll take it. Yeah, it's a little unusual that this game takes place in the not-too-distant future. Although, everything in the castle is 18th to 19th century style, but sometimes you'll encounter enemies that have something modern, like uh, zombie soldiers throwing grenades and such. Also hate that when that and happens. Then, yeah. And you'll encounter a shopkeeper who has all kinds of more modern weapons and armor, like war fatigues and such. Yeah. Well, I played Bloodstained a couple of years ago at this point, and Arya Sorrow really reminded me down to the bones of what they were going for with Bloodstained. Like, it felt like this was yeah. the game it was based on, this specific one. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. With the whole gaining abilities from monsters. Gaining abilities from monsters, a shop, uh, the Metroidvania map. Because uh, this was kind of one of the first Castlevanias that actually had that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Circle of the Moon had the whole Metroidvania map, too. And I think so does Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Yes. This one was way, it felt way more expansive, though. Yeah. Because you look at that and map after you've trekked through an area, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing there's, like, uh, warp points. Just for fast travel. I mean, if there wasn't warp points, this game would be unplayable to me. I would get so tired. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I really like the graphics in this one. It's like the sprite animations are very detailed and fluid, which is a far cry from Circle of the Moon. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as like dark and gray generally. There's a lot of medieval uh, Castlevania sets are. Um, they went for a more futuristic, yeah. so it felt like it was closer to a... reminded me a lot of Contra, with a lot of the technology aspects of it kind of coming into play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of blood, which you also didn't see in Circle of the Moon. It's like, in Circle of the Moon, it was mostly flame and such, but here, there's actual blood flying. And I like that you see bats flying around in the background of areas with sections of broken castle wall. Yeah. That was, that was a nice detail. Well, I thought this, like, blew kind Circle of the Moon out of the water. Oh, for sure. And I really like I mean, Circle I, of the Moon. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, I think it helps that the actual creator of the Castlevania series worked on this one. But not Circle of the Moon. And yeah, like I like I mentioned earlier, I was able to play this on the Castlevania Advance Collection on the Switch. It's just kind of nice. It's got it's got all three of the the ones that came on. There was Circle of the Moon, Aria of Sorrow, and Harmony of Dissonance. And they also put Rondo of Blood in there too. It's kind of nice. And gameplay's pretty standard Castlevania fare. Just get weapons, use them for melee attacks, and aside from the, we've already talked at length that gaining abilities from the monsters you slay, but I don't know what, what more there is to say. I mean, I played about two hours of this one. Uh, but... Yeah, I got, I got a couple hours in myself. Um, got lost in the map quite a lot. Uh, I really enjoyed the difficulty level. I didn't think it was too hard or too easy. I thought it flowed pretty pretty nicely. Um, game gameplay mechanics were fantastic. Never had any issue. Everything uh, was very pinpoint. No weird, um, no weird frame like frame rate issues at all that I experienced. Everything was very fluid and 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 nice to play. I yeah. never had really any issues other than the size of the map <laughs> yeah yeah and there are some enemies you can actually jump onto the back of to to reach hard to reach uh, platforms like the katobal paws it's like this armored boar that lets out petrifying breath to turn you to stone that was kind of a that was kind of a cool feature 
And gradually throughout the game, you'll get various movement upgrades that'll that are very <clears throat> get you to areas you couldn't reach before. Like pretty much every Castlevania, there's it's like the double jump, the uh, a little glider jump where you just hit one of the triggers and you'll float through the air for about five seconds. And my most recent one was the the floor slide. A la Mega Man 2. Yep. Just duck and slide under under uh, very low ceilings. Yeah, I, I, had a, I had a good time with this one. Joey? Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, at first I wasn't playing it right because I didn't realize you can get souls from literally any enemy that you kill. <laughs> so sometimes it's worth just sitting there farming them to get the souls. Correct. Or the random drops that they have. Also correct. So after I watched someone play, I was like, oh, he killed zombies for a little while and he actually got like a 30 damage sword from them or dagger. I was like, interesting. I did not know that. So yeah, you can can certainly cheese it. it. I ran through it and I got to the the skeleton boss without leveling up, without anything and got my ass kicked. So (laughs) yeah, I liked it. It was a fun game. Yeah. So the yeah, game one, goes one for about thing. eight hours and it's very expensive on the GBA. It's at minimum $85. Let me click on the history uh, of Jesus. this. Yeah, it's it's not cheap. Um, like yeah, even pre-pandemic, it was still going for like 40 bucks. So now it's... Man, I'll have it. Yeah, 85, 90. Like it's, it's, it's expensive. Um, it has gone down over the last couple of years. It did get over to $100. So the Castlevania Game Boy Advance collection has certainly, I think, attributed to that. Uh, That's my recommendation of uh, getting this game, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and one other thing I I liked about the game is that each, pretty much each weapon has has its own advantages and disadvantages, like... A combat knife will do a lot of damage, but it has a very short reach. Whereas uh, the whip sword does a decent amount of damage, but has a lot more reach than other stuff. I was using the broadsword a lot. It's uh, got just the right amount of reach as well as it. You actually swing it downward in an arc, so that can be very useful in dealing with hard to reach enemies. And there's also the hammer that it all it's also a downward swinger and does a lot of damage, but it's very slow to use. So you got to be very strategic about which weapons to use on which enemies. So, yeah, that's pretty much everything I can say about this one. Easy pass. Yeah, easy pass. It got excellent reviews. Kind of shocked to read that it didn't sell worth a shit. Yeah, it's weird. It's one of those that it's one of those games that didn't sell at all when it first came out and then grew popularity over time. And now yeah, it's yeah. now it's considered like a rare a more rare game. So yeah, easy pass from me. Uh two excellent games, Colin. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah I pass it. Alright, I'll go first, because I never go first. Uh I'm giving both games an A. And I liked Golden Sun the most. Nice. 
yeah, I'm giving, yeah, I'm going to give them both A's. I think I liked Castlevania a little bit more, but they were both really good. Uh, I like Castlevania better, obviously. Uh, I'm giving that an A. Golden Sun, uh, I'll give it a B. All right, either cool. way, they're both A's. <laughs> nice. Two out of three, majority rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah great i i really like this uh topic i love the two games colin um this was a lot of fun yeah i enjoyed it more than i expected yeah i think i was definitely in a, a jrpg mode because of final fantasy and shit so that's probably why i leaned golden sun currently yeah yeah okay joey you have the next theme pick it's already chosen what is it our overlord chat GPT recommends. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you were telling me you had to put every game we've ever covered into chat GP chat GPT and then say choose two games that aren't on a list. <laughs> yeah, it kept giving us recommendations of games we've already played, so I had to get a little deep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's uh that made me happy. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to that cast. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>